The History Channel Original Podcast. The Miami Heat have just made history. They entered the NBA playoffs as an eight seed, and now they're in the NBA Finals. The Heat are only the second ever eight seed to do that. The first, their historic rivals, the New York Knicks, back in 1999. Coincidentally, that's the team we're talking about today. The past few decades have been not good for the New York Knicks, so many fans still cling to the 90s, the era of their physical bully teams at the NBA. The Knicks' other reputation, though, a squad that chokes. In 1999, the team desperately wants to change the narrative and finally win a title. But on that mission, the Knicks go through one of their most bizarre and unexpected seasons ever. There were times living through it where it was very unpleasant. They're not that good. This isn't going to happen. They put together this magical run. It was really fun to witness the team come together. Today, we're looking back at the 1999 New York Knicks. The team enters the season with huge expectations, but then things just start going wrong. A lockout, a roster overhaul, front office mayhem, two bitter encounters with historic rivals. This may be New York's most chaotic season yet. To tell the story, I spoke with author and Knicks superfan, Paul Nepper. Sports history this week, June 11th, 1999. The Knicks beat the Indiana Pacers and become the first eight seed to clinch a spot in the NBA Finals. I'm Kalen Jones. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. The Knicks of the 90s are historic. They went to the playoffs every single year that decade. During that time, New York native, author, and Knicks superfan Paul Nepper was on cloud nine. So I spoke to Nepper to walk us through that last Knicks season of the 90s and see exactly what it means to their fans. My name is Paul Nepper. I wrote a book that came out a couple years ago called The Knicks of the 90s. I got to ask you, like, what is your why for writing this book? Like, why the Knicks and what is your personal relationship with the team? I grew up a huge Knicks fan. I'm still a Knicks fan, but the Knicks of the 90s were kind of the team of my youth. And I was completely obsessed with them. The glory years were the 90s when the Knicks 
were perennial contenders. You know, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals four times. They went to the finals twice. They came within a shot, really, of winning the championship. Here is Starks. They were a tough, grinded out, physical basketball team. They had a slogan in one of the playoffs, make them feel ya. It was a John Starks quote, make them feel ya. And he meant that literally. Now, that could be a flaker right there. They were physical and, and defense was at the core of it. Don't let teams score. That's why you had some of those games like, you know, 82-80 and 77-73 and things like that. So what are your expectations going into the 1999 season for the Knicks? I mean, the expectations were really high. They had gone to the second round the previous two years. Michael had just stepped away for the second time. But the Bulls were the team in the 90s. So there was this opportunity for the Knicks and and a lot of other teams that had been routinely blocked or eliminated by Michael that all of a sudden there was an opening. So the Knicks have this young head coach, Jeff Van Gundy. What's the perception of him? Van Gundy was loved by Knicks fans, and I think still is. There was something about him. He was 34 years old at the time. He was the youngest coach in the league, and he looked like a cross between a banker and a mortician. I mean, he just kind (laughs) of looked like... He always had uh, bags under his eyes. looking Because he didn't sleep. And you kind of knew... The bags were there because Van Gundy was up all night watching film. Nick fans fashion themselves, New Yorkers think of themselves as blue-collar, hardworking people. Right. I think it resonated with a lot of the fan base. Like, oh, this guy is like one of us. He just works his butt off and is obsessed with basketball. So the catalyst for what the Knicks were able to do throughout the 1990s, I think a lot of people would agree. Patrick Ewing. Obviously, A basketball legend, 11-time All-Star, but by this point, he's 36 years old. So what can you tell us about what made him special? I mean, Patrick was a huge deal. He came to New York as a huge star, as kind of a savior, and it got off to a slow start. He developed into an All-Star type player and a perennial All-Star, as you said, 11 times. Nobody played harder, and you could actually see it on the court because that guy sweat like... I I mean, it was like puddles dripping off of his face. It was unbelievable. It was really a transitional year for the Knicks because the Knicks made two major trades between the previous season and that season. And one, they traded Charles Oakley, who was a mainstay of the franchise, had been there for 10 years, was a co-captain. They traded him for Marcus Camby. And then they made a... A very controversial trade. They traded for Latrell Sprewell, who had just been suspended for a season for choking his coach. The trouble between Carlissimo and Sprewell had been brewing for some time. And when the Warriors began the season with a losing streak, Sprewell says his coach singled him out and berated him in front of the other players. In that trade, they gave up John Starks, who was another kind of mainstay of the franchise. There was a lot of change going on. They added a lot more talent. They got younger. Sprewell and Camby were younger. They were more athletic than Starks and Oakley. They kind of had a bigger upside in that way. But there were a number of obstacles, I think, to kind of integrating that talent. It was also a really interesting time in the league because you had a lockout, which started in 1998. There was actually a lot of speculation that 
98-99 season was never going to happen, that the whole season would be lost. So for our listeners, the lockout is a big deal, and we could do a whole episode on it. For now, I'll just say that the league shuts its doors to the players over the course of the summer, and the season does not start on time. So, Paul, as a fan, are you worried about what that means for this specific Knicks team? When you're a contender, you never know how long that window is going to be open. You're like, oh man, I don't know how many more chances we have with this roster. How many more years does Patrick have in him? And so October, November, December, it wasn't until January that they signed that deal. And then you have this condensed schedule with relatively no practice time during the season because they're playing like back-to-back-to-back games or four games at five nights. There was no training camp, really. So you're bringing in these major new pieces and you lost a couple of your cornerstones and there's no training camp to really integrate these new parts. So eventually the lockout comes to an end in February and the season really started off with uncertainty. Spreewell got hurt in game two. And I think that kind of set the season in a weird direction because he was expected to be a big part of it. And then you had Marcus Camby, who was new to the team and was expected to be a big part of the rotation, but he played just five minutes in the first two games combined. Ben Gundy was never happy about trading Oakley for Camby, and Camby was kind of stuck to the bench early in the season. The other thing that was tricky was Sprewell and Camby were, as I said, very young, very athletic, guys who got up and down the floor, and Patrick, was always kind of a half-court, low-post player. And at this point, right. he's 36 years old and has slowed down. <laughs> so there was, it was almost like two teams. There were just some terrible losses. I remember one to Philadelphia in particular, where they got crushed by the 76ers, who were not a very good team at the time. They were 21-21, and 21, very mediocre, which was unacceptable to management because they had the highest payroll in the league, and they had a lot of talent, and expectations were very high. But you certainly could not call them a great team. They were far from it when they ended up firing their general manager, Ernie Grunfeld, 42 games into the season. And there was constant speculation before Ernie was fired and after that Van Gundy would be fired as well. To recap, the Knicks are not good to start the season. Everything is on hyperdrive because of this condensed schedule. The new pieces aren't meshing. And yet the Knicks are still expected to turn it around with seven games left in the season. So let's find out if they can do just that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
We're in Miami, April 25th, 1999. So at this point in the regular season, the Knicks have been on a losing streak. They had just beaten the Hornets, but prior to that, they had lost four games straight. And so it doesn't look like the Knicks are going to make the playoffs. Uh, What are the stakes coming into this game? There was a lot of pressure on the team because there were high expectations to win. And at that point, with eight games left of the season, they were 21 and 21. They were in the ninth seed, so they were not currently in playoff position. You know, I think they realized that, okay, Coach Van Gundy, who they were all very fond of, will be next. You know, if we don't make the playoffs, there'll probably be some personnel changes. Some of us will be out of here. And there was a sense of desperation of, uh, we got to right this ship. We got to get it going fast. In that game against Miami, the Knicks were down 20 late in the third quarter. I think you have to understand 20 points then was it's different than 20 points now. (laughs) A 20 point deficit in a a game that low scoring is very different than a 20 point deficit in a 130-125 game. Yeah, where you can shoot your way back in. (laughs) Right. And, And the three point shot just wasn't anywhere nearly as prevalent. And in that fourth quarter, they came storming back. And really, it was, I think it was a turning point for Marcus Camby in many ways and his contribution to the team. The Knicks were down by three with 56 seconds left. Tim Hardaway, who's Tim Hardaway Sr., who was a Nick killer at that time, came back and hit a three to put Miami back up three. Back on the other end of the court, Camby threw down this devastating dunk, got fouled, made the foul shot, and I remember the bench went crazy when he dunked that and got fouled, and they won the game. Incredible comeback victory for Jeff Van Gundy and the Knicks. This was it, like, okay, it was, this is what we can do. They kind of put it all together. This is the team we could be. And then they went on to win, I guess, four of their last six games and make the playoffs. What do you remember about New York like what it looked and what it felt like and when the Knicks made it to the playoffs during the 90s. It was all consuming. It was everywhere. It was people on the subways walking around in their in their Spreewald jerseys <laughs> and their Patrick Ewing t-shirts and their Knicks hats. It was everywhere. It, it seemed all consuming in the city. So the first round of the playoffs, our first opponent will be the Miami Heat. And the Heat are the one seed. They're the number one team in the Eastern Conference during the regular season. They had a great year. And we're the eighth seed. So the odds are stacked against us. Not only that, but we have a history with the Miami Heat. And Knicks and Heat hate each other. So what what can you tell us about that rivalry with the Heat? Oh, man. I miss that. The NBA misses that. The NBA really <laughs> currently misses rivalries like the yes. Knicks and Heat. The origin of the rivalry was Pat Riley leaving the Knicks to join the Heat. And Knicks fans were furious. And there was a great deal of animosity based on that alone. And then in 97 and 98, the Knicks and Heat met in the playoffs. And it was brutal. In 1997, P.J. Brown flipped Charlie Ward over end over end into the stands. Whoa! And P.J. Brown through Ward And Charlie Ward going out. Now there's an all-out brawl. Next season, Larry Johnson and Lonzo Mourning threw punches at each other, which led to another bench-clearing brawl and with the, the famous image of Jeff Van Gundy dangling from Alonzo Mourning's leg as he tried to break it up. Jeff Van Gundy is on the bottom of the pile. 
trying to drag his players away. It was so much on the line because for Riley, the Heat were the number one seed. Riley had built some really good teams in Miami, but never advanced very far in the playoffs. And again, Jordan wasn't there to stop them. And they believed that this was their time to go to the finals. These two hated teams were standing in each other's way, which led to another epic series in, in 99. It didn't feel like a 1-8 matchup, even though it was. Well, that's the thing. The Knicks certainly didn't play like it, right? Like that first matchup, they come out swinging. They win 95-75. to 75. The Knicks threw the first punch. They really knocked Miami down and, and said, hey, you know, this is going to be a fight. Sprewell and Camby, again, they brought a, a little dimension to the Knicks that they hadn't had in previous years, where I think they were a little more athletic than Miami. But Miami kind of had that consistency. And I think they were a little just ran a little smoother. I don't think there ever was a turning point. I think if that series was a best of 100, one, uh, one of the teams would have won 50 to 49. So the series is back and forth with the Heat. It's even at 2-2, and whoever wins the fifth game moves on. And again, this is a huge deal because that we even have a shot at, at, at winning this series because the Heat are the number one seed. We're the ace seed, and it's pretty much unheard of for an AC to knock off a one seed. Today's game five, the winner moves on to face either Atlanta or Detroit. The loser ends the season. So in game five, the Heat explode off to this great start. The Knicks come back, and again, it ends up being this evenly matched contest in the fourth quarter. And with a minute left, Miami leads 77-74. to 74. And with just a few seconds left in the game, the tie finally turns in the Knicks' favor. Out of bounds. New York will get it, but only four seconds to shoot. And 4.5 left in the game. The Knicks were down one with 4.5 seconds left. And, and they inbounded the ball to Allen Houston. And he hit a little, a little runner that seemed to link, stay up in the air forever. It hit the <laughs> rim and the backboard and the rim again. Got it! With eight tenths left! And the Knicks won the series. They won that game by one point. I don't think any Knicks fan was sold yet because the season had just been so inconsistent. You know, there were times when they would play well and you're like, all right, maybe they're going to turn a corner. And then they would just be awful in the next game. And you didn't have the same history with these guys. And you still weren't sure what this team was. All right. So the Knicks get to round two. Up next, they face the Atlanta Hawks. Hall of Famer Dikembe Mutombo leading the way for them. So like you said, you were waiting for some stars for the Knicks to really emerge. Does that ever happen? That Hawks series was kind of Spree's coming out party. He was a tremendous talent and just a beast on the court. He was attacking the basket with reckless abandon, and he was just nasty out there. Spree went uncontested to the basket as he got past Tyrone Corbin. Just eluded the entire back line of the Hawks. The Knicks were able to sweep Atlanta. So at that point, <laughs> you get into the you know the Eastern Conference Finals, and you're absolutely rolling. They've got it going. They look almost destined to return to the NBA Finals at this point. But suddenly, they've got one of their arch rivals standing right in their way. And personally, like it's probably my favorite NBA rivalry of the 1990s. Like it, this series marked the fifth time they met in the playoffs during this decade alone. There's plenty of bad blood. One of New York's biggest rivals, the Indiana Pacers. So just real quickly for you, I mean, how do you feel about the Indiana Pacers? <laughs> I hate the Indiana Pacers. I hate, 
I've never hated a player in any sport on any team the way I hate Reggie Miller. Still, <laughs> I put on TNT games now, and Reggie Miller's doing the game, and I'm just like, oh, I just like I can't even bear to listen to him. So there was a great deal of animosity between those teams. The Knicks had really come on in the first two rounds of the playoffs, and they seemed they looked like they were finally clicking at the right time. They beat the Heat, they swept the Hawks, and now they're up against the Pacers in the conference finals. They win the first game, but then in game two, things take a turn. Ewing season is over. His injury is the tragic punctuation to an emotional stay in Indianapolis for the Knicks. When you're in the conference finals, you're starting to think, hey, maybe we can win the whole thing. Right. And now Patrick goes down and it was like, oh man, like that's, I don't know. I don't know if we could beat Indiana without him. I, it looked kind of bleak. We have to rearrange our whole offense. They kind of had this secondary offense. And very often what it would be was the starters would play this slow, grinded out pace. And then they would bring Sprewell and Camby and Chris Childs off the bench and whoosh up and down the floor. <laughs> so when Patrick went down, they were able to unleash that fast-paced offense, which which worked a lot better for Sprewell and Camby. So at this point, most experts think that the Knicks have no chance of beating the Pacers, that Camby won't be able to replace Ewing. And Game 3 is sort of a prove-it game, and they actually hang in it without Ewing. Camby is off the charts, 21 points, 11 rebounds. Even with all that, the Pacers are still up. The Knicks are down 3 in, in closing seconds, and Larry Johnson... Pulls up and hits a three-pointer. Got it. New York by one. Timeout, Indiana. Three incredible three-point shots by Larry Johnson in this game. I mean, the guard in, uh, yeah, I've been a Nick fan my whole life. I don't know that I've ever heard the guard louder than that moment. I mean, it just wow. exploded. So the Pacers take game four. The Knicks take game five. The Knicks are up three to two. They just need one more win to take down the Pacers. So game six against the Pacers. Huge moment, at least to me. Like the Knicks can actually put a cherry on top of an insanely chaotic season. They've gone through the lockout. There's been no time to gel with all their new players. The GM gets fired. They almost don't make the playoffs. Patrick Ewing gets hurt. Can all these heroics that they've shown throughout this last stretch of the season somehow continue like where you've had Camby's insane games, Larry Johnson's insane games? So what's the mood in Madison Square Garden? The garden was going bananas. Complete bedlam. I mean, people were going crazy. So there was tremendous intensity from the start. But I think as the playoffs progressed, there was this belief that began to develop. And by game six, it was like, wow, we were on the footsteps of the NBA Finals. And so there was an excitement kind of backed by a confidence now that wasn't necessarily there the whole time. As the crowd cheers on, can Reggie Miller block it out? It was a slow game, slow pace game. Both of those teams were very physical. And points were tough to come by because they were both so good defensively. So neither team could really pull away from the other. And a lackluster start to this game, almost like two heavyweight boxers feeling each other out in the early rounds. 
Especially with Patrick Gow, the offense began to revolve around Sprewell and Houston. And Houston just was a beautiful shooter. Allen Houston, unstoppable the last two quarters, 32 in the game. Reggie Miller shot three for 18 in game six. He looked exhausted, actually, in the fourth quarter. He, he didn't even, was kind of passing off the ball, wasn't even looking to shoot that much by that point. He was just kind of gas. The Pacers have given up. And NBA history has just been made. The New York Knicks are the first eight seed to ever make the NBA Finals. Jeff Van Gundy's wife in tears. How significant was it for this team for all of the stuff that they had been through to reach the finals? It was incredible. It was really incredible. And it was, again, I'll use the word magical. It felt magical. The whole season with the lockout and then the shortened season, all these things, just this whirlwind of emotions all culminating in what seemed just shocking at the time, this this trip to the finals. You didn't know what to make of it. It didn't seem like that was going to happen, right? It was just too so chaotic. San Antonio was waiting for us in the finals, but they ended up being too much. I think it was clear that we were playing a superior team and that the height advantage, you know, the talent and height of their big man was too much to overcome. Yeah, they laid it all out there. They left everything out on the floor. I guess when you think back on that season, even though they lost, I guess, how do you feel looking back on it? It was a great season. There's nothing better than when your team exceeds expectations, right? It's just the, the best feeling. The Knicks may have started that season with high expectations, but by the time the playoffs came as an eighth seed, there were no expectations anymore. So to do that seemingly out of the blue was just, it was euphoric. The big thing was that with Spree and Houston and Camby playing so well, we're going to be a good team for a while here. That there was a sense that there would be other runs. And it did seem like there was a a fairly bright future. I don't think anyone could have imagined the next few decades that would follow. Yeah, it's crazy because like 13 straight years of the playoffs and really being a perennial contender throughout that entire period. And then... Over the past 20 years, there's been the ups and downs and the struggles, but they've had some noteworthy coaches like Van Gundy, D'Antoni, Mike Woodson. They've had Carmel Anthony, Amari Stoudemire, Stephon Marbury, David Lee. They even had the Jeremy Lin moment. It was a lot of quick fixes with both coaches and players. That It was, let's make a major splash. Let's get on the back page of the newspaper. Let's sell tickets. Not necessarily looking at the best way to build a sustainable competitive roster. It's been a pretty bad two plus decades. And so I think with time, the memories of that season become even stronger. You know, we look at those teams more, even more endearingly because there's been such a drought, because we haven't had anything like that in so long. When you have those moments, right? When you can think back, the Allen Houston shot, the Larry Johnson four point play, and it's moments that we, almost 25 years later, we share. You could talk to any Nick fan you meet in any place of a certain age, and you can bond over those one specific play from all those years ago. Or you can still talk about the magic of that season and that run and, and how exciting it was to see it all come together in that way. It's the beauty of sports. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about it. This has been a fun one. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. 
Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 2005, tennis star Rafael Nadal wins his first French Open. 2006, the Ivory Coast makes its first World Cup appearance, helping lead to a resolution amidst the Civil War. If you want to get in touch, feel free to email us at sportspod at history.com or leave us a voicemail at 212-351-0410. Special thanks to our guest, Paul Nepper, Nick's superfan and author of Nick's of the 90s, Ewing, Oakley, Starks, and the brawlers that almost won it all. This episode was produced by Cooper McKim, story edited by me, Kalen Jones, and sound designed by Isaac Lee. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Ingber. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks, Hazel May, and Jonah Buchanan. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Copyright 2023 A&E Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved.